Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the podcast that looks at current politics and laughs because, I mean, well, have you seen it? I've seen more reassuring blood clots. This is episode 127, I'm Tiernan Duyeb, and this week Brexit continues to be the kind of car crash that only happens because a 97-year-old royal assumes people will swerve for him if he just keeps careering forward without looking. Prime Minister and sad boom Mike Theresa May is looking for ways to break the parliamentary deadlock. Ways that obviously exclude her listening to anyone or residing or doing anything remotely useful. So far, May's main plan appears to be to bring back her old plan that was historically defeated in Parliament and then reintroduce it as her plan B with the hope that no one will notice. I mean, she hasn't even tried to put a moustache or glasses on it. And hey, in a way, I think fair play to her. I mean, it's the old Robert the Bruce method of try, try, try again. Just with May, there's absolutely no desire to listen to the needs of Scottish people. Of course, a better solution would be for May to listen to the criticism and work on something better. But what the past week has shown is that Theresa May is the sort of person who, if she was having an argument with her husband, whatever his name is, Brian or Vanessa May or whatever, about who should take the bins out this week, she'd have rubbish banned from the UK, changed the definition of the words bins, and have all the collection men deported before even considering saying, I'll do it as you did it last week. So far, her promise of cross-party talks have mainly involved her confronting other Conservatives, who, to be fair, are a very cross-party right now, so I suppose it's not that inaccurate. Labour leader and fuzzy felt construct Jeremy Corbyn refused to meet with May to discuss her new plan, which was actually her old plan, on account of her refusing to take the possibility of a no-deal off the table, which she probably didn't do on account of that not being possible, or maybe because it wasn't in the first plan no one liked, so why would you change it? While it isn't possible, that didn't stop Chancellor and man entirely made of coat hangers, Philip Hammond, assuring businesses that it could be done, so it seems it's entirely possible to reserve a place at the table if you pay shitloads for a reservation in the first place. Meanwhile, disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox reached out for solutions by accusing Remainer MPs of trying to steal Brexit, which adds a value to Brexit that we all know it doesn't actually have. I mean, rather than pinch it, I think, Liam, you're going to have to pay someone to take it away and probably offer to bring them on some diplomatic trips with you at the taxpayer's expense. 
Last week, May's deal suffered a historic defeat at the Commons, with a majority of 220 against, which is the most a government has ever lost a parliamentary vote by ever. So, you know, it's nice to know May is good at something, even if it's being the worst. Many commentators said that no other Prime Minister had been humiliated like that, which is especially damning considering everyone for at least a year said the last Prime Minister fucked a pig. Everyone knew Theresa May would lose the vote, but that didn't stop her trying to avoid it, pleading with MPs to support unity over division. You know, as if Sam Beckett just quantum leapt into her body with absolutely no idea of what had happened over the past two years. Environment Secretary and what if Chucky from Rugrats was neglected as a child, Michael Gove, warned that winter is coming, quoting Game of Thrones, a popular fantasy and therefore the exact opposite of May's deal. Of course Michael Gove watches that show, and I bet he does so while taking notes for his own career. Hmm, stabbing someone who you thought were their ally, working with an icy dragon, bastards battling bastards, hmm. Pairing was suspended for the vote, meaning that heavily pregnant Labour MP and woman who's always looked like she's about to ask you to sign up to a student campaign group, Tulip Sadiq, had to delay her planned caesarean birth and get to the House of Commons in a wheelchair, which must have confused the DWP as to whether her turning up to work to vote against May's deal was exactly what they wanted or not. But hey, fair play, Tulip, there is nothing more powerful than a constant reminder to the government of someone whose future they're actively ruining. There were four amendments to May's deal put forward, but three were pulled, and the fourth, which was kept, the Barron Amendment, so-called because the MP who proposed it uh, and Reese Shearsmith character John Barron is clearly incapable of bringing any joy into the world, the fourth was to give the MPs the option to terminate the Northern Irish backstop, which can't be done, but also, if it had gone through, would have gone through to be on a deal that didn't go through. It was a huge waste of time and voted down at 600 votes to 24, which you could say, if nothing else, made May's defeat look a lot less awful. I mean, imagine that being your legacy. John Barron's main achievement in 2019 was seeming even more shit and less popular than Theresa May. It's like winning the Greatest Idiot Award or Best Moron. Then May's deal was defeated 432 votes to 202, proving that it was a terrible plan across the board, except for a few Conservatives and three Labour MPs who voted with May, because what kind of opposition are they if they're not always opposing themselves? And while we all knew May's deal would fail, it was still so satisfying seeing her lose at something. I mean, to be honest, I'd be pleased right now if I just heard she'd lost the end of the sellotape. But rather than resign, which we all know May will never do, as it'll require some sort of ancient incantation spell, she challenged Jeremy Corbyn to call a vote of no confidence in the government, and so he did, like a weird bearded fish seeing bait on a hook connected to a line of power. The debate on the no-confidence vote was the very next day, on the Wednesday, and it followed one on low-level letterboxes, which you might think seems a bit at odds with the whole Brexit thing, so you remember that they're both essentially about problems with delivery. The no-confidence debate was somehow the most boring thing ever, like the world's shittest comedy roast. Michael Gove unsurprisingly did a lot of boring wanging on in his speech, which many said was the best speech of his career, proving just how awful the entire rest of his time in Parliament has been. Everyone else either said why they thought May was rubbish or they lied. The whole thing must have been massively confusing for many Conservatives who are only used to saying that they have confidence in someone just before they're forced to resign. May won the vote by 325 to 306, as several Conservatives who'd had absolutely no confidence in her deal the day before now suddenly backed her as though maybe they'd misread the ballot and assumed it was a vote against Marisa Tay. In most respects, compared to the meaningful vote the night before, this one was an absolutely meaningless one, but the results did show that if big fans of Luther, the DUP, had voted against her, May would have lost by one vote. And I think that works out. Hang on, 10 DUP votes. Hang on, 100... 100 million pounds per vote? 
vote. Phew, money well spent, eh? Still, it meant that May won by 51 to 52% of the vote, so I guess that's final, and no one can ever question it ever again, no matter how pointless. There we go, there's confidence in a woman who failed to sort out a deal within two years of Brexit, did badly at a snap election she called to boost her majority, and had to pay people to like her. I'm amazed the whole vote didn't end with a small boy standing up shouting, but can't you see, she's not wearing any clothes. May offered the other party leaders to meet her for cross-party talks, because why not offer an olive brunch when you're holding onto it in an ever-faster-flowing river, hoping someone will help you out? May gave a speech at 10pm that night, prompting everyone to wonder if she was going to say something actually important, like, sod it, I'm off, or that maybe she was now hosting the Oscars, or perhaps that Brexit means sexit. But no, it was pretty much exactly what she'd said earlier in the day, only in an even more dull way. The people want us to get on with delivering Brexit, she said, while faffing about ruining everyone's evening instead of doing something useful. I bet she's also the sort of person who insists on making speeches at weddings, delaying dessert even further, just to say she agrees with what everyone else has already said. May insisted that she wants to do what's in the national interest, and yet she still hasn't resigned, so that's clearly bullshit. Earlier that day, the Conservatives had admitted that May had not invited Corbyn to any cross-party meetings, but by that night, May was blaming him for not wanting to meet with her. I was certain that by the Thursday, her friend would ask him if he prefers May or herself, and then by Friday, Corbyn would pass a note to her pal during class, and by Saturday, they'd be going out but only holding hands. It's genuinely like the most boring teen drama I've ever seen in my life. Corbyn did say he wasn't going to meet May unless she promised to take the possibility of a no deal off the table, which is ridiculous because no deal will automatically be on the table if we don't have a deal by March the 29th. No deal is the wasp at a picnic in summer. It'll definitely be there ruining everything unless you prepare adequate cover. At the same time, May could at least try to have made some effort to listen to anyone else, as it seems by accounts from members of other parties she met and her statement to the Commons, the Prime Minister has insisted she's standing firm on her red lines, which means she won't be at risk of getting parked on, but it also means the EU won't be slowing down or stopping to look at them, considering they've already said they're not possible. Corbyn told the House that the whole thing felt like Groundhog Day, before again asking May to impossibly get rid of the possibility of no deal for the six billionth time. So here we are, political stalemate, but with less of the mate bit as no one's being very friendly to each other and lots of really off-stale comments about absolutely everything. Work and Pensions Secretary and Linda LaPlante's least love character, Amber Rudd, has warned Number 10 that lots of ministers may quit if they're banned from voting for an amendment that does help stop a no-deal and insists on an Article 50 extension if there's no plan by the end of February. Which would put Theresa May in a tricky position, as then she'd only be left with a few MPs who still agree with her that she'd then be able to form a cabinet with. It'd be more of a sort of bedside table with a single draw. Worryingly, though, I do think that might be her plan, you know, just to whittle it all down until it's just her in Number 10, with boarded up windows and doors and a baseball back with nails in it, shouting, it's in the national interest, at anyone who asks if she's okay. Labour MP David, always posing for a school certificate photo Lammy, said that Labour frontbenchers may resign if Corbyn doesn't back a second referendum, while other frontbenchers are threatening to resign if he does. Perhaps maybe Corbyn should just back a second referendum, then an immediate third one, and go for best out of three, hopefully placating both sides. Ultimately, there's every chance that within a few weeks' time, Parliament will just be one or two people putting on a series of different hats and voices, making all of the decisions for the country at once. DUP leader and woman who's come to tell off your children for laughing and smiling, Arlene Foster, openly said that there's never been a hard border between Ireland and Northern Ireland, showing that she wants to stay part of the UK so much she's acting like the English and completely gaslighting part of Ireland's history for her own benefit. Tumble dryer filled with bricks, Boris Johnson claims that he didn't use any anti-Turkish messages during the EU campaign, which is at odds with all the anti-Turkish messages that he made during the EU campaign. 
Then again, knowing Boris, he didn't think they were anti-Turkish, as maybe that was the sort of thing that was perfectly acceptable in the 1800s. Top hamster cage material, the Daily Mail, revealed that Boris's girlfriend refers to him as Bozzy Bear, which is further proof that he's just an unfunny Muppet ripoff. Meanwhile, EU President of the European Council and Hoggle, Donald Tusk, says remaining in the EU is the only real option for the UK, which, I mean, he would say. He's not going to say, actually, everyone, your best bet is to walk into the sea and leave me alone, though I reckon we are only days away from that. Leading German figures have written to the UK asking them to stay in the EU, saying that Britain has become part of who we are as Europeans. Which is nice, but you can't help but feel that it's a bit like writing to a foot growth that you don't want removed because it means your socks will no longer fit, despite knowing that you'll be able to stride forwards a lot easier without it. British Army reserves have been given a notice to get ready to deploy to help in case of a no-deal. Typical Brexit, we only get the reserves, not even the main team. And the debate on May's Plan B is going to be on January the 29th, when, based on the current outlook of it being very much like a rose by any other name that still smells like it was planted in a dung heap, MPs will likely just be trying to beat their previous record of rejecting it. The one difference to May's Plan B that wasn't in Plan A is that she's told EU citizens in the UK that while they still have to apply for settled status to ensure they'll be OK after Brexit, they no longer have to pay if they're part of the pilot scheme. Though I wouldn't trust May that by pilot scheme, she just means she'll be popping them on a plane as soon as possible. To be honest, I think the whole Home Office scheme would just be far more honest if EU citizens had to apply for unsettled by this stupid situation status instead. As for post-Brexit plans, ministers have revealed that once we're out, May is keen to scrap the Human Rights Act, a promise that she makes pretty much every year or so, and one that once again raises conspiracy theories about giant lizards being in government, as wouldn't a human want to keep the Human Rights Act? Nah, I'm only joking. I mean, who wants a Human Rights Act? I mean, where does it go? When does it end? What next? Animal rights? Special rights for children? (laughs) What are you like? And Nigel, look what the dog brought in, Farage, is reported to be considering a return to politics, despite politics promising it definitely hasn't invited him back. His plan is for a new Brexit-based party, which I for one hope he calls Tukip. Still, it does mean there'll actually be something to look forward to next general election, as old soggy-faced Tweedballs fails to get elected for an eighth time. Yo, 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 Parpol Brods, another week in politics full of really stupid games, no one willing to budge on anything, and nothing of any actual substance happening. Lols. Oh, it's lucky they're not in charge of the quality of people's lives or anything, huh? Oh, how we laugh through the tears. I'm starting to really worry that Theresa May just cannot be removed, ever. Like, just ever. Like, in 50 years from now, they'll just be trying to evict her from number 10, shouting, you've lost the last 10 general elections, and she'll just be carrying on like she hasn't heard them. Um, anyway, uh, how are all you listeners? I hope those of you in the UK are handling the icy weather, and those of you in Europe are handling the actually cold weather, and those of you in Scandinavia are mocking both of us as you have to get a sled home from work. Um, I'm not saying it's cold in my flat today, but as I'm working on today's episode, my computer keeps freezing. Um, my flat is actually cold, though, uh, genuinely. It's been freezing typing this up today. Every single uh, finger-pricking blood test that I've had to do for my type 1 diabetes day has taken at least eight attempts. I'm so scared that when I finally warm up, that I'll drink some water and end up firing out of my fingertips like a sort of cheap water pistol. Um, but luckily, uh, the problem of a cold flat shall soon be solved, as now uh, the family are flat hunting again, which is miserable. It does always pose the question, flat hunting, of where do I find a net big enough and how do you sneak up on a building? Um, but yes, yeah, sadly, our landlord is having to sell the building that I've lived in for the last six years and so we all have to be out by april the first which yeah part of me has wondered if it's an extremely elaborate april fool's gag but i'm not sure i want to risk that so 
my week has mostly been looking online at pictures of flats and working out how many people were obviously murdered there or how somewhere can be classed as having a second bedroom when it looks like you'll definitely have to sleep standing up. Um, the rest of my week, though, has been waiting for a package from Yodel Delivery, who are the worst in the world. Have you ever dealt with them? Three times they've messaged me saying, sorry we missed you, while I was at home looking out the window for them and no one was there. I mean, is it possible to miss something you weren't targeting in the first place? I'm genuinely starting to wonder if Yodel is the service the government have been using to deliver Brexit. Genuinely. Um, anyway, thanks tons for listening again this week and to new listeners too who seem to keep arriving this year, which is very much appreciated. Um, don't forget, if you are new to the show, you have to pass the secret initiation test that involves running a dangerous gauntlet filled with really boring people whose opinions you have to try and listen to without swearing at them, um, having to explain Brexit to someone from outside the UK without making them laugh, and then climbing a really big wall because, you know, it's a gauntlet and there's just there's just always a wall. Um, no, I'm only joking. Of course, new listeners, you are welcome here without any gauntlet or settled status application and i very much hope you enjoy the show and don't forget that if you do you can let others know how much by reviewing the show on the pod app of your choice someone last week uh, asked on twitter how they review the show without doing it on itunes or apple podcasts and the answer is uh do it somewhere else um i mean you can review the show on stitcher or podbean or several other podcast app sites um but if you're really opposed to a review on an apple site and you don't use the other ones or maybe they're too tricky to find then why not just tweet about the podcast or facebook it or instagram it or friends reunited it or tell tom about it on myspace or just post it to your local neighborhood watch pinboard um, you know, just about how much you enjoy the show, as all of that really helps as well. Um, you can also donate to the show at uh, ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro, uh, and you can now do monthly or one-off payments there, and thank you so much to Rob for donating this week, uh, or to patreon.com forward slash parpolbro for monthly ones as well. And all of that does help me to make this show better, whether that's through drinking enough coffee to sit through one of May's speeches without falling asleep, or, you know, do something better like buying recording equipment so it doesn't sound like I'm doing this in a cave, even though I actually am. I'm actually recording this in a cave. And that's why I have to move. It's being sold for mining reasons. Oh, very sad. So, uh, some other admin bits this week. Uh, a few of you on the ever-underused Facebook group. I mean, why would you use it, though, to be fair? I mean, who wants Zuckerberg selling all of our hot political takes to whichever weirdo would want them? Um, but a few of you on there asked, after last week's show was released on the day of May's deal, therefore being out of date pretty quickly, why I released this podcast on a Tuesday and not, say, on a Friday or a Sunday or something. Um, well, the very boring and not interesting answer is that I am primarily still a stand-up comedian and on a Monday when I write this show I rarely have to do a gig or anything so I can spend time on this instead and the even more boring answer is that when I started podcasting I was told Tuesday was a good day to release them and I think a person was lying but now now I'm stuck I mean you can't really change it can you imagine changing something bloody hell Uh, and then I change it and then you'd all demand another referendum to change it again basically look if you'd all prefer this to come out on another day of the week let me know and then donate enough so that I can turn down all of my gigs. Wait, wait, where have you gone? Come back. Um, speaking of gigs, though, I'm once again supporting the brilliant Frankie Boyle on all of his warm-up gigs for his BBC Two New World Order show again. Um, those are all in London throughout February, March and April. I mean, there's bloody loads of dates. Uh, they're not all sold out, and I'm doing, I think, all of them. So if you'd like to hear 20 minutes of my bad ideas followed by 40 minutes of his excellent ones, um, then do come along. They're nearly all at Leicester Square Theatre, the Museum of Comedy, and then there are a few at the Hen and Chickens Theatre in Islington, which aren't on 
sale yet, but they should be soon. So do head to the respective websites for those. Um, and on March the 27th, top idiot uh, pal and excellent comedian Mark Watson is doing another stupidly, stupidly long comedy show. Um, and this one is 26.2 hours long in honour of the London Marathon. And because I'm a glutton for punishment, I will be involved for the duration. Um, if you've seen any of his previous long shows, I've generally had something awful and punishing to do, whether it be sit in the corner of the room for the whole time as the show's pet, uh, getting hit in the face by a custard pie of increasing size every hour, or at the last one, just suffering some sort of horrible treatment um, at request of the audience. Although at the last one, I did also get my back shaved by Gillian Anderson, which was a weird and incredible experience all at once. I don't think 15-year-old me expected that would be how I'd meet her. But there you go, I'm still dining out on that story. Um, this one, though, is all in aid of the dementia revolution and tickets for the whole thing are on sale at the Pleasance Theatre website if you want to come and see a cavalcade of comedians doing incredibly stupid things for charity in a theatre that will inevitably smell a bit like the inside of a sock by the end of it. It will be fun. Do come along. Um, on this week's show, I am interviewing Charlotte Hughes, the brilliant campaigner and blogger who volunteers helping those whose lives are ruined by awful, awful DUP sanctions and shitty universal credit. Um, a bit of a warning, the interview contains some mentions of suicide and the effects of the rape clause if those things upset you, though I should say the latter is just about the policy and no cases in particular. Um, but if those things worry you, then you might want to skip through when you hear me asking questions about mental health and the two-child policy. Um, then as well as that interview, there is a very small Brexit fallout because really I mean what is there to say this week and there's also a very small bit of this Upskirting has finally been made illegal in a law that probably caused MP and creepy Toby Joe Christopher Chope to say I guess I'll have to learn to use the internet now instead if you haven't heard the term before, upskirting doesn't mean when an item of clothing depicts a very sad tale for ten minutes before a lovely fun one about squirrels and balloons. No, instead it was an invasive form of sexual harassment involving a picture being taken up someone's skirt without their permission. It has been happening as long as people have had phones and skirts, but it's taken a stupidly long time to be classed as a crime as part of the Sexual Offences Act 2003, mainly because of idiots like Christopher Chope, who single-handedly blocked the bill on it in June last year while using his other hand for who knows what. Anyway, that resulted in a lot of women in his constituency plastering his office's door with pairs of pants, which worked on two levels, both as a protest and as a way of warning passers-by that behind them lived a total penis. Thanks to writer Gina Martin, who was targeted by upskirts at a festival, she got 50,000 signatures on a petition to make it illegal, followed by cross-party support, and despite Chope's stupid intervention, it got government backing in July last year and has now passed. It's been illegal in Scotland since 2010 and in several other countries, but in England and Wales, until last week, police could only ever ask the perpetrator to delete the photo and not much more. Now, though, an important victory for equality, they could get up to two years in prison because Parliament finally, finally stopped skirting around the issue and addressed it. Yes, that is what I'm finishing this bit on. Yes, you have to deal with it. The government has published their clean air strategy, which they say is a world-leading plan to tackle air pollution, but they haven't said which world, and I'm concerned it's one of the gas planets like Neptune or Uranus. <laughs> Uranus. The World Health Organisation has said that a pollutant called PM, which surprisingly doesn't stand for Prime Minister, but instead particulate matter, is the most damaging and over 40 cities and towns in the UK exceed their limit of dangerous PM in the air, which is literally a breathtaking number. The government, though, who've now lost three court cases in regards to their insufficient approaches to tackling air pollution, are now saying they'll have it all sorted by 2030, and not just because they're asking Boris Johnson to breathe in more than he exhales. 
Their plan is to ban the sale of most polluting fuels for wood fires and coal burners and only have the cleanest domestic stoves available by 2022. But most green campaigners have pointed out that this is all a bit vague and it doesn't have any legally binding stuff, so it's highly likely they just won't manage any of it. Nor does it really do anything with car pollution as it gives that over to underfunded local councils to deal with. In 2017, the National Audit Office said the UK government were 10 years late on air quality targets, so are these policies a breath of fresh air, or is it more likely that by 2030 we'll realise that air in the UK is only how it should have been by 2020, and that the government policies were just a lot of smoke without fire? Yes, that is how I'm finishing that bit too. You're welcome. Poverty is definitely the worst sort of tea, followed by property, and then one that I once had with cardamoms in it because I wasn't listening properly when offered it and it made me cough for ages. Oh, it was so gross. Why would you put that in tea? Right now, relative poverty is rampant in the UK, which does sound like it means that you just suffer a really awful family. But actually, relative poverty means that around 14 million people are deemed to be earning less than 55% of the median income. The government don't use the relative poverty measurement and instead opt for evaluating things by absolute poverty, which is the level where they're satisfied that their policies have really, really destroyed you absolutely enough. That's not true, but in a way it also actually is. I mean, in November last year, the UN Special Rapporteur said that he found that UK ministers were in a state of denial about poverty and he encountered a lot of misery, a lot of people who feel the system is failing them and a lot of people who feel the system is there to punish them. Which, if that was a TripAdvisor review for a theme park or holiday company, you'd probably not use them. Austerity, the bedroom tax, public service cuts, welfare changes and universal credit with its vicious sanction system have all affected Britain's poorest communities pretty harshly. Last week, the Work and Pensions Secretary Amber Rudd delayed the rollout of the latter to three million people after months and months of headlines and evidence that universal credit will leave many worse off than before and increase homelessness and child poverty. Or, in Rudd's case, it could just be that she delayed it because she hasn't quite got yet enough televisions in her office to watch everyone suffer at the same time. Who knows? What is for certain is that the government are insisting on pushing ahead with universal credit, despite how damaging it's definitely going to be. So, out of character that, hey? Pushing ahead with something that's going to be damaging? I mean, that is really, really unlike them. How weird. This week, I spoke to Charlotte Hughes, campaigner, activist, blogger, and most importantly, volunteer who helps vulnerable people who are let down by the job centre where she lives in Ashton-under-Lyne in Greater Manchester. Charlotte decided to blog about the people she met while she volunteered and what they were going through on a blog called The Poor Side of Life and she's been praised for giving a voice to people who've been suffering under the government's often very draconian policies. It can be quite hard reading at times but it's always very eye-opening and it's really important that her blog has highlighted just how many people are affected. Charlotte kindly had time for me to speak to her last Friday morning and talk to me about why she does it, what she encounters and what in an ideal world needs to change. Uh, just a heads up, as I mentioned in the intro to this show, there is a brief mention of the rape clause and there's also mention of suicide. So if those things upset you, please do skip through my questions on the effects on claimants' mental health and the two-child policy. Also, Charlotte has an amazing sounding Jack Russell called Pippin, who lovingly tried to answer a few questions himself. Uh, and I've managed to edit out his barking, but there is the odd bit of tail wagging that you might hear in the background. I mean, either that or it's some covert government plan to wag the dog. Anyway, I'm really, really grateful to Charlotte for speaking to me and I think this is a pretty important one to listen to so here's charlotte hi charlotte um you what the work that you do outside uh the job center in ashton under lime and 
uh, your blog are both, uh, I mean, they're both incredibly impressive. The blog can be quite hard reading at times, but uh, it's an incredible way to show the stories of people that are suffering under universal credit. Um, why did you start volunteering and why did you start the blog? What caused you to do that? Well, we started really, we were a group of people. We met because we were upset about the fact that universal credit was coming out. The bedroom tax was coming out at the same time. And so was um, the, the bedroom tax and the, uh, or the council tax supplement was coming out at the same time. So we were really quite upset about that. So we used to do um, a circular demo. So we used to do the job centre one week. We do the magistrate's court one week and the council offices the, the other week. And it worked really well. But one week we were there, we were outside the job centre, we were noticing that a lot more people were, so, were coming out really, really upset. And you've got to remember, we were a pilot area for Universal Credit, so we got it before anyone else. So it was Ashton Alderman Wigan that got it. So we were seeing people walking out, crying. Um, it was just awful. Grown men crying. So we said, well, why don't we just do a couple of weeks outside the job centre, you know? Let's just stay here instead of just going round. So we did do, and it was it was awful. It was really awful. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. Um, we knew it would be bad because I'd read all the legislation. Just because we up north doesn't mean to say we don't read legislation. We do. Um, we've been telling people about it. But, you know, anyway, we did that. And my daughter had an appointment in the job centre. Now, she was 26, 23 weeks pregnant at the time. She was very big. She had health problems. And she'd been sanctioned before. Uh, she'd filled the job search incorrectly, etc. She'd gone for an interview at B&Q for a work fair interview, which is work for nothing. Considering the fact that she's 23 weeks pregnant, she's massive, B&Q said, yes, you can come along and you can put, we'll put you on light duties. She went to the job centre that day when we was outside, we were outside, and they said to her, oh, well, um, we're going to sanction you again because you told them you were pregnant. Right. What? Yeah, yeah, they did. And they can't deny that. We did a piece with The Guardian about that. We did a, a bit of filming with The Guardian, no dispatches about that. And they didn't deny it to them either. It did happen. Um, they, and then they said, you sanctioned for three years. Okay. So we challenged that. We tried phoning them up. And every time we'd phone them up, we'd get a different answer, etc. Anyway, she ended up getting very, very poorly. She ended up having a baby early, probably because of all the stress and everything like that. And now she's not on universe. She's not on that anymore. She's now on um. Obviously, she's on DSA now because she's got a baby. But she'll still soon be moved over to Universal Credit, and she's not sanctioned anymore. But the fact that they can sanction a pregnant woman for three years, and the fact that they can say to pregnant women, and it was happening not just happening to her, it was happening to a lot of pregnant women at the time. And we saw them. And one day there was four pregnant women coming out, was crying and saying, "What do we do? What do we do? I'm going to feed my baby." When my daughter asked the uh, advisor how she was going to feed a baby, they said to her, well, tough, just get on with it. They didn't care, you know. That's so horrible. I mean, but, but you know, the what are you meant to do if you are pregnant? You've got to warn the employee because at some point you have to take time off. What would, would the, you know, did the job centre give criteria? Should they be, you know, just leaving it and... I don't know, just surprising them with it. What, what are you meant? You know, what are you meant to do? Yeah, you, there's, there's health and safety laws, isn't there? And they completely disregarded them. And B and Q, who actually wanted to employ you on a work fair basis, which is work for nothing, um, they said we'll put you on light duties. 
But then the job centre decided that they were going to sanction her because she told them she was pregnant. So I don't know what happened between the job centre and the and B&Q. Maybe B&Q said, look, you shouldn't be sending her over. I don't know. Um, because we do know there's a financial element that concerns the workfare companies and people have workfare with the DWP. So, yeah, they should be giving, they should be putting um, pregnant women on a light touch, which means that they don't murder them as much, but they don't. You know, they've still got to look for work. They've still got to constantly look for work. And it's just horrible. It really is horrible. It's a horrible system. It's really horrible. And your poor daughter, that must have been so horribly stressful. So can I just ask as well, like just for the sake of the listeners, like what's it mean when you're when you're sanctioned? Like what, what does that mean? Now, um, it, when you're sanctioned, it means that they take basically they take away most of your some of your money or all of your money. It depends on your situation. If you've got children, they, they'll take away your money, your elements, everything from you. Okay. Now, under universal credit, that means everything but the child element. Under tax, under um, GSA, they'll take away all your GSA off you, so you'll only get your tax credits. Because there's two systems still running at the moment until universal credit comes all the way comes in. If you know what I mean. So basically, single people who are sanctioned are left with nothing. They're left with absolutely nothing. They can still claim the housing benefit, and but they're left with nothing. You know. Yeah, so it just depends on the person, but basically you're left with nothing or hardly anything. You're expected to get your gas, your electric, your food. You've got to, you're expected to go to the job centre to sign on. Still, uh, you've got to attend your workfare appointments. You've got to attend all the appointments that the job centre give you. You've got to attend um, interviews, and you've got to do everything that you were doing, but without any money. It basically means nothing, and you've got to carry on with everything that the DWP. Say you've got to do so. Say they've told you you've got to look for work for thirty-five, for thirty-four hours a week, thirty hours a week. You still got to do that. You still got to go for interviews if you're lucky enough to have one. You still got to do your job search. If you, you know, you still got to do. You got to fulfil all their requirements that they're giving you. And these requirements vary from person to person, and they're often very unfair. They don't take into account a lot of disabilities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's another thing that the DWP are, are really bad about. Um, so basically, people are left with nothing. And when you're left with nothing, it leaves you really desperate, you know. Um, c- crimes risen. <coughs> Sorry. Crimes risen. Um, oh, shoplifting, things like that have risen. Um, homelessness has massively increased because what you don't, what people don't realise they can still get the rent when they're sanctioned, you know, because everything stops and they've got to go and reapply for the rent. So people just don't know what to do. They're like, the rent account go into arrears because they don't know they can claim rent. It's just a, it's just an impossible situation. Can you imagine having no money at all? You know, when you feel that when you feel like a quid in your pocket or a fiver in your pocket, you feel that you've got something and that you're able to contribute, you're able to go and buy yourself a pint of milk or something. When you've not got any money, it's scary. It's terrifying. I mean, because, you know, as well, there's obviously this, you know, survival and needing to eat and needing to have heating. But the psychological torture of it, you know, it feels like a horrible mind game to say you've got to do all these things we tell you, but we're not going to give you any money to do them. Are you finding lots of people are sort of they must be suffering depression or other mental health issues because of it? Yeah. Yeah. When we first started, there was a lot of people committing suicide, you know, especially men at the time. Now we've got more women committing suicide as well. Um, um people we used to speak to, you know, when we first started, it was a long time ago. It was almost five years ago now. So it was about five years ago, actually. So we said there were, it was quite a regular occurrence that a police officer would come and tell us, look, so-and-so won't be here today because we've just found them or they're in hospital because of attempted suicide, that sort of thing. Um, 
a man in a, on a disability scooter. He was really poorly. They sanctioned him. Now, we're, we're talking about the days when Universal first credit first came in. So they were just doing it at a whim, you know. They were just being stupid with the sanctions. They were sanctioning basically everyone. It was awful. He committed suicide. And that hit me really hard, you know, because we used to have a really good chat with this guy. He was a lovely chap. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is awful. Depression, um, anxiety. People are anxious. The DWP makes you anxious. The way they are, the way they talk to you, the way they treat you, um, your conditionality, which is very controlling. When I always say that the DWP basically control every aspect of your life, and they do, you know, they control what you do in the day and who you have at your home and everything, you know, so it's pretty scary. It's like a dystopian, you know, it's like a dystopian society. It's just awful. It really is. It sounds it. I mean, is, is there also, I mean, we've been discussing people on sanctions, but there's also, uh, I be, you know, a lot of the news stories about universal credit has been that people that aren't sanctioned are still suffering because it's not, giving them enough to live on. is that? Are you finding that's the case as well? Absolutely, yeah. Universal credit does not pay you enough, okay? It does not give you enough money to survive on. Like I was speaking to a lady yesterday, um, she gets, she's got three children living with her, two grown up, one a young adult, but is, she can still claim universal credit, the child element for him, because um, he's in an education. She gets around £600 a month left. Uh, to, uh, a month off universal credit out of that she's got to pay a rent she's got to pay um, gas electric bills etc so she's left with for the month £300 out of that she's that's £300 for the month to feed one that's to feed four people okay three of them are you know are adult size they're not like little kids so can you imagine living on 50 quid a week you know or less than 50 quid a week if it's a four week month five-week month, sorry. So it's just virtually impossible. I mean, people have to get loans out when they're waiting for universal credit claim to go through, and these loans have to be repaid. And they, pay, they don't even have any standard, you know, any set amount for people to repay it at. So somebody might be paying £50 a month back, which is a lot of money. Somebody might be paying £150 back for their loan a month take that out of their money, it's leaving them absolutely skint. And this is working and non-working people, okay? Um, working people um, are having to pay childcare, you know, childcare fees. Um, and number of us touched on that, but that's not going to help the people who have had, who are in debt already. Um, it's it's just horrendous. So they pay the childcare, they pay everything. I spoke to a woman um, the week before last, and she said she's only a fiver. She's got a fiver left out. She spent everything in a week. You know, you know, and she's got children, you know. Um, I spoke to a woman yesterday and she's got a young baby. She's a single parent and she she works, but she was told by the DWP that she had to get a zero hour contract job while she's on universal credit. Because she was that scared, she went and got a zero hour contract job. Because she'd worked over Christmas, she got two wage slips in one month because of the way the month runs. And because of this, they stopped her universal credit for it. She didn't get any for Dece any any for December. She's had to reapply, and she won't get any now till next month. So basically, she's got to go two months without any money, you know, any top up. And she's had no work because it's a zero hour contract, and they haven't called her up for any work. So I said to her, well, what, "How are you managing?" And she said, "I don't know. I'm having to, we're going to go to food banks and everything." So we said to her, 
well, we'll give you a food pass, but she's got two friends in the same situation. So people forget that it hits women and children equally as equally as bad as disabled people as well. You know, these these two genres tend to be the target for the DWP. You know, it's easy targets, aren't they? Because you know they're more vulnerable than a lot of other people. And I mean, it's it's sort of another thing you sort of highlight there as well is that you know the DWP want them to get zero hours jobs, but that isn't. That doesn't pay, and it doesn't always mean that you've got work. But I'm guessing the DWP count that as an employment, do they? Is yeah. that how that works? Yeah, the class an hour, an hour's work a fortnight is employment. So whenever we see the big employment figures going up, there could be a lot of people in that that's just getting one hour of work uh, every two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, when people take themselves off benefit, you know, because they're that scared of the system, they can't put up with it anymore. The, the the unemployment levels drop then because they're not claiming anything, you know. So that's how the figures are fudged as well. They just fudge the figures, you know. It's not real employment. It's a real job. It's like thirty nine hours a week, full pay, isn't it? Living wage. But now these no, I very rarely see anybody in that position. Very rarely. And I, I'm I'm fairly certain I know what your answer is going to be, but uh, you know uh, Amber Rudd, uh, Work and Pension Secretary, recently announced well, she's now she's going to delay the full rollout of Universal Credit, but she's also announced some new policies. Um, and one of them I know sounds ridiculous because it's the cancelling of the two child rule, but only for children born before April 2017. So everyone else since is still going to have it, which is ridiculous. But the the other ones were her policies of giving universal credit to the main carer and then giving direct payments to landlords. Are, are any of those any good at all? Or is it just, you know, is it just nonsense? What's what's your view on it? Right. First of all, um, I, I like to address the fact about the delay. It That was a delay that was planned. That was a delay that was announced by Esther McVeigh last year, okay, when she got before she left, okay. So that is not an Amber Rudd miracle, okay? That was going to happen, right? People are still being transferred over as well. So if somebody is on the remit for being, like, transferred over this week, they'll still get transferred over. There's no, It doesn't really work out, to be honest. It doesn't. Um, as for the two-child limit, uh, it does not really help a lot of people, does it? You know? Um, and when will this ruling come into play? When will they get will they get their money back? You know, will will it come into play? You know, how long will it take for her to change these rules? Will she reimburse these poor families that have had to suffer for such a long time now, and um, because their child happened to be, be born before a certain day? You know, I doubt it. I doubt that there's going to be a rush. Okay, it's all hot air. Um, I'd like to see that happen next week, and I'd like to see it uh, say right, we're going to refund you, but she's not going to do that at all. And and the same with the main carer. Now there is a good thing. Um, I do I do believe in the main carer getting the money because it's usually the, the parent, the mother. But when will we see this? She's not given a date for it. She's not given a date for either of these things. And I'd like to see a date. You know, basically I don't believe anything she says until it happens. Until someone comes to me and says, "Oh look, I've, I've, I'm getting money for my child now." You know. Unless unless that happens, I just don't believe her. Um, I'm sorry, but that's the way I am. I'm very cynical with the DWP. Um, well, I think you've got right to be. You're seeing their effects every single week, and you have done for years now. So you know, I think it's I think it's very fair to be cynical about uh, these policies that they're not. I didn't realise that she hadn't given any dates for it, but I guess that got lost under Brexit news, and we kind of ignored it. 
she's focusing that's her focus her focus is work and pension so she should be focusing on that not brexit, not brexit you know um it doesn't give us hope but what, what it has also done is misled people i've had people coming to me now saying i'm going to get money for my children and i've said no you're not you know you're not going to get money for your child because it was only your child was only born last month or something like that you know you're not going to get any money for that so yeah so yeah so that that is basically it they're not given a date for anything will it ever happen if it does happen are they going to reimburse these families um the two child limit should be abolished and we've got to talk about the rape clause as well the rape clause is absolutely obscene it really is obscene and they're not backing down on that you know and, and can you just remind me, sorry, just for the, uh, again, for the sake of listeners of the podcast, uh, the rape clause, that's if you've got a third child through, can you, can you yeah, talk me that. through what it means? So if you, if you actually have a child through rape, um, through, a, through a violent relationship rape, you know, if you are raped and you've got to have it registered, of course, because they don't believe you if you're not registered, you've got, it's just all this rigmarole, you've got to fill in all these forms, you've got to prove that you were raped. It's basically like sitting in the courtroom again. And they can decide then whether they're going to give you money for that child, for that third child. You know, now it's not that woman's fault and it's not that child's fault. How in this country have we got a law that says that if you've been raped, you've got to prove to the DWP that you've been raped. So we we'll, we we might give you some money for that child. If we don't think you've got, if we think you've not got enough evidence, you know, then we're not going to give you the money. How obscene is that, you know? How obscene? That's making those women feel like a criminal. And how obscene is it that we've got a two-child limit anyway, you know? Um, a two-child limit like that anyway. We're not in China, you know? Years ago, we were talking about China and saying how bad they are, how bad their, their, their two-child limit is there, uh, their one-child limit is there, isn't it? You know, and how we shouldn't behave like them, yet we're doing exactly the same as them now. Um, it is, and what, what it is, it's... Um, it's setting, it's setting families against families, you know, people who have got, uh, who are well better off are saying now, and I get it a lot of the time saying, they shouldn't have children, they should keep their legs shut, what are you doing having children? Um, it's also forced um, women to have abortions, and they didn't want to have an abortion, but they can't afford to have the child anymore. And your circumstances can change, you know, you can be in a relationship one minute, and the next day, your partner could walk out, or something could happen, you could be in a violent relationship, and you're left holding the children, you know, and and same for the male male carers as well, you know, and these children can't help being born, you know. These women are suffering. These male carers are suffering as well, and it's just wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's abhorrent. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. We'll be back with Charlotte in a minute, but first. Brexit has happened okay the end bye no i'm joking i'm joking ish i mean this could be a long brexit fallout where i list all the bickering that's happened and why it's all wrong but that would be the exact opposite of fun aka your speech by chancellor philip hammond so instead i thought this week might be a good time to do a quick bullet points catch up of where we are and i found this effect to use for each one as a way of waking you up in between all the boring bits how can you stop a no deal when a no deal is the absence of a deal and you may not have a deal? Answer, you can't. It's the default. If the UK doesn't have an agreed deal by March 29th, we don't head to some happy Brexit limbo where nothing much happens and we thumb twiddle till trade deals plummet into our groins. No, we automatically fall out like a big restless dude in a small bed. So the only way for May to guarantee we'll avoid a no deal is to promise that in the event she doesn't have a good deal, which she thinks that we will do even though no one likes it, Article 50 will be revoked. Or maybe she'll tell the EU just to give us whatever they want as she honestly doesn't care anymore. Or, no wait, that is it. Those are the only ways. So, when Corbyn says he wants her to promise to avoid a no deal, he's either saying, hey, maybe let's all call it off, which you won't believe if you're a Remainer and you will believe if you're a Brexiteer, or he's really confused about what he's talking about, or he's doing it on purpose to make everyone angry, or he's just boxing May into a corner to actually do something. A second referendum, or as no one but me called it, a second referendum, probably won't happen now. I mean, May ain't big on it, as she said a billion times, because she's worried it would set a difficult precedent that could have a significant impact on how we handle referendums in this country in future. Yeah, I mean, what a shame if parties weren't able to illegally spend on their campaigns for them anymore, or, you know, actually had to provide information on what it all meant to people before they voted. God, it'd be awful. Just awful. Labour says they haven't taken the possibility of a second referendum off the table should they not manage to get a deal that conforms to all the things that they'd like which aren't possible and won't happen. But it's unlikely it'd get a majority in a parliamentary vote and so even though it really seems like May's thing is to have a vote on a definitely unpopular idea, maybe it's just slightly too popular for her to risk it. Then again, never say never except when saying it twice to get home that point. Article 50 can be revoked by the UK without any ruling from the EU, but it probably won't be unless, I don't know, they stop pumping whatever gas it is into the Houses of Parliament. I mean, I say that, I say that, but actually it is quite an old building. Do you think in years to come we'll just find Brexit was all down to asbestos? Hmm. Sorry, I got distracted. So anyway, look, if Article 50 wasn't revoked, it could be extended, but that would require the other 27 EU countries to do that. And if it was extended, then the UK would have to be careful about when to do it until, as July is the meeting of the new EU MEPs, so there'd have to be an election for them in May, and I'm really really not sure anyone can be bothered to vote for someone who may only have a job for a month or two, especially when one of them is Nigel Farage. Then there'd have to be all this effort made to set up a ton of polling booths and ballot papers just for absolutely no one to use them. I mean, actually, basically, it'd be just like the last time where there was an MEP election in the UK in 2014. You know, where only 35% of the population bothered to turn out and then everyone complained that the EU was undemocratic. <sighs> 
If you're an EU citizen in the UK, you have to apply for settled status, even if you've been settled here for ages and own loads of throw cushions to prove it. Originally, you had to have lived in the UK for five years and, you know, only ever started conversation with people by mentioning the weather and generally being awkward about sex. No, wait, sorry. Uh, sorry, it's just the first bit about living here for five years. And you'd have had to pay a £65 fee. But while you still have to do the five years bit, Theresa May announced that the fee would be waived for anyone applying early on in the pilot scheme. Or at least, once you've handed over all the details so that you can be quickly removed come the purge, they'll promise to reimburse your fees, which they'll likely not have time to do as they'll be lacking in staff because of Brexit. Still though, until that happens, you'll have the same access to our failing healthcare and education services as everyone else. Hmm. So all that could really happen now is tabling amendments. Is it the same table that Corbyn insists on things being taken off of or left on? Where is this table? What shape is it? Who sits there? Who laid it? What coasters do they use? So many questions, absolutely no answers. MPs will be tabling amendments over the next week to suggest changes to May's deal, which will be voted on on Tuesday, January 29th. Yes, just after another one of these podcasts is released and therefore goes out of date. Yes, I get the message again. OK, guys, all right, stop it. Anyway, between now and then, new laws will be put forward and things like a bill that's been proposed by a group of ministers led by Labour MP and Just William, Yvette Cooper, has the aim of delaying the UK's departure from the EU if May still has nothing by February the 26th, which would then give them just over a month to ask the E27 to extend Article 50 and then we'd have to have MEP elections probably and by that point you'd probably think like I do on most wintry days no fuck it let's just stay in it looks horrible outside anyway during amendment time MPs who are not in the government have to propose private members bills and several are trying to suspend normal parliamentary rules to allocate more time to them but the government has to allow that and they have to allow money resolutions for any bills that require spending and there's every chance that they'll just go no because you know they want to give the British people a sovereign parliament I said that sarcastically didn't I Some MPs also want indicative votes, which is where MPs sort of do test runs on a vote to see what they might vote for in the future, which in this limited amount of time seems about as useful as saying no one can make a statement until they've told the House all about the dream they had last night in a way that makes it sound like you actually think they care. So, that's that, and where we are this week in politics, basically. So, same place as last week, but just far more tired. Oh, and, um... Liam Fox is total disgrace Liam Fox, what a waste of space Liam Fox, just look at his face Like a rubbish contestant on the chase Claiming expenses, taking his friend all over the place Liam Fox, what a total disgrace Liam Fox, what a total disgrace Like a bad document you can't erase Like when someone only types in lowercase Liam Fox, what a total disgrace Liam Fox, what a total disgrace I just thought I'd throw this in. I mean, disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox has said a lot of stupid stuff this week about, uh, for example, Remainers trying to steal Brexit, even though you can't steal something that no one has a clue what it looks like. I mean, it's like saying, hey, that mouse is trying to steal the Gruffalo. He also said that Brexit is not Dunkirk, which, I mean, he's right on. That was an evacuation of Allied troops, whereas Brexit is a willing kamikaze move. Why would you just list really terrible things Brexit is not, when previously you'd said it was going to be a success? I mean, either Fox knows he's lying through his teeth and it's going to be a shit show, or he's the worst advertiser ever. Try this toothbrush. It's not a toilet brush. Sure, Liam, but what does it do for your teeth? Well, it doesn't get poo on them. Is it clean? There's no poo. But neither of those things that he said are this week's Fox Up. Instead, let's head back, way back to 2017, when Liam Fox said that the government would replicate 40 EU free trade agreements that currently exist by the time that we leave the EU so there'll be absolutely no disruption. Do you remember that? He said that we'll have like 40 ready for one second after midnight on March 29th, 2019. Well, it looks like, to be fair to Liam, right on target, they may have two ready. 
two out of 40. Ladies and gentlemen, Liam Fox, a man who in any other business with those sorts of success rates would resign or be fired. But in the government led by a woman who suffered a historical defeat and stayed in her job, he's basically just in the running for staff member of the week. Emphasis on the member bit. Still, hey, at least it's not Dunkirk, huh? And now, back to Charlotte. Yeah. Well, it sort of just says that you can only have kids if you're wealthy, doesn't it? Which is a, a horrible state of elitism, I think. Uh, you know, that only only the wealthy can breed. It's a terrible thing to say. Um, I wanted to... Uh, four single mums. The, the little bit of good news that we've had uh, about this was that four single mums won a high court case um, saying that the, their universal credit payments were unlawful. Um, that is, which is, is brilliant. But is do you think this is going to have a greater effect? Do you think... You know, or is is every single person that claims universal credit going to have to take the government to court to get some sort of result? Yeah, we've had um, we've had similar court case, well, different court cases against the DWP in the past, and we've had wins, and then the DWP, well, the DWP appeal it. So first of all, the one I can't stress enough how brave these women were. Okay, these women put their names forward because and at great risk of being targeted by the DWP. Okay, they do target people, they do pick people out to pick on, you know, like bullies do in the schoolyard. So they were very, very brave. And I must thank the solicitors and and applaud them for taking the government to court for this. They won, but the government are now appealing. Okay, that's what I've heard. And also, what they do is when these when these rulings come, you know, you, you know, what they do is they shell them. So she's not giving us a date when this is going to change because she hasn't even accepted that this has happened. When they appeal, and hopefully they lose the appeal, they'll, it'll come back to the government and the government will just put it in a drawer. They're not going to rush for that. Or they'll make a new rule up to justify the old one. So it can make, so it, we, it's, a, it's a no-win situation. I've seen it time and time again. We saw it with a woman who took home the DWP to court because she was a, a graduate, um, a university graduate, and she was volunteering in the museum at the time. And she was told by a job centre advisor that she had to go and volunteer at Poundland. Oh yes, I remember. I remember her case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she she won she 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 won the appeal. She won it. This very the very same day the government brought out a new ruling, so she lost. Yeah, yeah. So this is what they do. They they do this very very cleverly. So I am not all raising my hopes for that. I would lo- I would love them not to shelve it, you know, but they shelve everything, don't they? I mean, look at the European court. You know, we've had them all in, you know, and and they just shelve everything. They don't read it. They're not bothered. Do you think it's uh, helpful that that cases like that kind of highlight how bad it is? I mean, because it's one of the things that I, I feel like that your blog does brilliantly. As I said, it's very hard reading, but it really does show how how tough you know people's lives are because of universal credit do you think the the, the general public are aware of what it's doing to people do you and, and are cases like this useful because you know it's it's in the news and it, and it shows us that that actually people are having a tough time yeah it does it, it is really good you know it's really good that the newspapers now have picked up on it as well um because in the past it was very very hard to get anything in the newspapers and it was only the guardian that was actually writing about it at the time even though the guardians called a lot um it's now other newspapers. Absolutely fantastic because it it opened up a can of worms for people who are working who will be soon put onto universal credit because they always thought they were immune. You know, we're on working tax credits. We're working. It's never going to happen to us. You know, so they know now that this is it's raised awareness. Basically, 
it's made them think, oh gosh, what are we going to do now? It's created, it's created a conversation which is really, really good because we need conversation about these things. It's people who thought, like I said, were thought they were immune, realizing they're not immune. You know, so that's quite sad as well in a way. But yeah, I'm glad it got in the news, and I can't thank these women enough. You know, we need more more people like these women and more solicitors like their solicitors doing this. Um, well, the trouble is you can't. You've got to. You can't just go to the DW to a solicitor and say, "I'm going to just take the DWP to court." You've got to follow um, a legal legal proceedings. You know, they've got to have broken or or done something against the law. You know, broken a law or broken a rule in some kind of way, and they have done in that case. So it's really hard taking them to court because effectively you're taking the government to court, and you've got to think about that. Are the government going to let you win? Are the government going to let three single parents win? You know, sure, and I yeah. mean with legal aid cuts as well, it's very it's very expensive to do these things unless you've got, you know, uh, sort of lawyers or solicitors on your on your side willing to willing to do it pro bono. It's very tough. Yeah, very tough indeed. Yeah, we we were very lucky in Manchester. We've got a very good law centre, and we've got law centres across the country. Now these are the solicitors that normally take on these cases, because they will do them pro bono. You know, or another solicitor will think, well, you know, I want, you know, I'll do this free or I'll do this whatever, you know. Because it's a good case, you know. So I, I, I've got to ask people to support local law centres, you know. They can be quite hard to get into at times, but it's really essential that you support them because they're the ones that take the government to court. They're the ones that challenge things as well, as well as welfare rights centres and citizens' advice. Uh, but these guys really put the, in the nails in the coffin for the DWP and legislation, you know. They know what they're doing. And they appeal um, all sorts of different cases, like ESA cases, PIP cases, um, housing cases, everything. They're really, really good. Um, and that brings me sort of very nicely onto the next question, really, which which is, uh, you know, areas like the uh, the law centres. Um, what what places can people go to for support, and where should people like the listeners of this show? What can they do if they wanna that wanna help people that are, are struggling? Where should they be donating to? What should they be doing? Yeah, um, that's a difficult one because every area has different organisations, so there's always going to be different voluntary organisations. Okay, I would say support your independent ones. You know, support the independent ones more because they're the ones that don't. Or, or don't receive funding or get very little funding from anyone, okay? They have to fight for every penny they've got. So I would certainly look up them. I would certainly look up the non-trustal trust through banks as well because they're the ones that aren't funded by anybody either. You know, they have to fund themselves. And the guys that work around, going around the town centres at night time, city town centres, um, helping the homeless, feeding the homeless, looking after them, um, when others won't do it, they're the ones you support, should support as well. Um, people should join a union like Unite Community if you're not working or you you retired, because together you've got more power. And in a in a good area, they can do a lot and they can make a lot of difference. Um, I always tell people that they should even if you sh- they should go and see their MP. Um, even if you've got a terrible MP, you should still go and see them and tell them your problems. I'm lucky. I've got three really good MPs in my area and they really do do some good work but I'm aware that it's not the same in every area but you still should see them right because if you don't see them they can't register the problem and they don't know you exist and they're not bothered some of them you know so I'd be the new next best friend you know what I mean I'd be outside the door at every single surgery they have you know um 
It's just a hard one. Um, I, I definitely say you support your welfare rights. Citizens Advice have got a bit of a bad name at the moment because they did a dirty deal with the with the DWP. So I'm a bit wary with them at the moment, but they still do give out good advice. Um, so yeah, still go to them as well. But you know, as for financially, that they get their finance from the government and other agencies. So it's basically support your independent ones. If you've only got a Trustle Trust Food Bank near you, support them anyway. You know, but. As well as supporting these organisations, you should always be challenging them, challenging the need for them. And not enough people do that, you know. So while they'll celebrate a food bank opening, which I think is obscene anyway, celebrating the food bank opening, they're not challenging the need for a food bank. I would like to say if a food bank is open and there should be protests outside saying, why do we need this? You know, why are we having a food bank opening? It's obscene in this country, you know. Why are people dying? You know, why are people starving? Why are people dying from hypothermia? That sort of thing, you know. So there should be that sort of thing as well going on. Support your local campaign groups, you know. Um, get out with us all because we really need the help. You know, we really do. Because believe it or not, I mean, the amount of times that I get somebody saying to me, well, you don't do anything. You don't make any difference. Well, we have actually. We made a lot of difference because no one was talking about sanctions at all outside the job centre until I was hammering it away and hammering it away and the blog came out and it just went viral, you know. Um, groups like DPAC, Disabled People Against Cuts, they do some amazing work. They need more support as well. None of us receive any funding from anywhere. Um, um, Black Triangle as well, they're up in Scotland, I think, and they do some absolutely amazing work. Um, so all these local organisations, we all join together, okay, so... We all talk together, we do actions together, but we need more people. You know, we're, we're, we're not miracle workers. We can't do it, everything for people. We need help, you know, and it's not scary. People think it's scary doing what we do. It really isn't. It's, it's quite easy to do once you get into it, you know, and you're basically just chatting to people. Um, but look, what I feel now is people really want to be sat in front of the televisions all night or they or they'd rather not do it they'd rather campaign online but not do anything face to face but we make a difference you know Deepak go into parliament they've chained themselves up in parliament before now they make a lot of noise you know we, we, I, I've been along to their protests and protesting myself outside the Conservative Party conference um, we brought things into the media Deepak are brilliant at bringing disabled issues and disability issues into the media um, I brought the issues of sanctions of universal credit in, and I've been, you've got to be relentless at it. You know, it's hard. It's really, it's really flaming hard. You know, and but yes, we've we've achieved a lot. We've absolutely achieved a lot. You know, I made a I made a film, um, the real Daniel Blake's, and I made another one, um, um, for Sky News, and that went absolutely viral, absolutely mad. It did. So to say that we, and it raised a lot of awareness. So when people say to me, "You've actually done nothing." Yes, we have done something. The Labour government, the Labour government, sorry, the, La the Labour shadow government, I wish they were. The Labour shadow government um, are listening to us. Um, myself, members of DPAC and other campaigners are part of a, a group that, a meet, that meets them, a committee that meets them every so often. We talk about these issues and discuss them and plan for when there is a Labour government about what they can do and how they can change things, you know. So we, that's the first time we've ever, campaign groups have ever been listened to like this. You know, so when people say we do nothing, we have, and also the fact that groups like ourselves, even if like Deepak Online and Black Triangle Fight Back, Four Up, all these groups, this and being outside as well, 
we stop people from doing something really awful, you know what I mean, say committing suicide or or um, just giving up on life altogether because we're there to talk to people, we're there to help them, you know. So it's not just a campaign, we're there for people. And when you can stand and talk to somebody and get them from thinking really dark thoughts, you know, about... Because I speak to people that say, I was just going to go home and talk myself, you know. Yeah, and when you can talk them out of that and when you can spend that time to talk to them and like they're a human being and real, give them hope, give them give them that spark, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel, say, we're here with you, mate, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, you know. You're not on your own. And that makes a massive difference. And by talking to people as well and showing them what to do, and you're empowering them. So you're you're giving the power in, you're giving the power to them then, and they tell their friends how to do it. So less and less people uh, will be going to the DW will, will be targeted by the DWP because they know the rules, you know. And we also support um, as well as our councils. We've got some MPs. We've got some really good councillors as well. Um, and I have in my area. Some aren't in some areas, but there are some good ones. And we've had some come into the into the job centre interviews of people, and that's made a massive difference. Um, yeah, you know, like Mackenzie friends as well. You know, people that go in, you can, you can go in with someone, you can accompany someone to their appointments, and I can't stress how important that is. If that's only the only thing you can do, you know, these people that do it, I do it myself. It's a, it's a hard thing to do, but it's really good because the DWP are less likely to to pull the wool over somebody's eyes if there's a witness to it. Thanks so much to Charlotte for the interview. Um, you can find Charlotte at CharlotteH71 um, on Twitter and at her blog, ThePoorSideOf.Life. Uh, you can also donate towards her blog and her volunteering work there too, if you're able to. Charlotte also mentions DPAC, which is Disabled People Against Cuts, and you can find them at DPAC. And you can find them at dpac.uk.net or on Twitter at dis underscore ppl underscore protest two. Um, I did actually interview Anita Bellows from DPAC way back in episode two of this podcast. Um, but uh, long time listeners may remember that the sound quality wasn't very good then as I was a fledgling podcaster. And while sadly not much has changed since then, I will drop them a line to try and get an updated chat about the mistreatment of people with disabilities uh, very soon. Um, as for all Charlotte's other recommendations, they'll be on the partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk website as well. And if you have local charities or campaigns that you do support, please drop me a line. I'll happily plug them on this show to help others find them as it's not always easy to do. There are so many issues that I need to do updates for on this show uh, and more that I've never even mentioned before. So to help my sleep deprived brain, please do let me know if you've got any suggestions for who I should interview or what political issues I should find someone to interview about. Remember, this is still an MP free zone. But other than that, I am all ears like some weird giant ear monster that looks terrifying in appearance, but actually is a really great listener. Drop me a line at Paul Polbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you could physically send it to me via Yodel and they'll never pick it up in the first place, but insist it's my fault for not living at the sender's address so it could just be handed over and they could be left a and they can be left alone to get on with picking their nose and making paperclip chains. Oh, God, they're so shit. I'm just so angry about it. Anyway, uh, it is, of course, probably just best to email. <laughs> 
And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Thank you loads for firing these noises into your brain flaps. And please don't forget to review the show on a pod app or alleyway wall. Donate to the Patreon or Ko-fi if you can afford to. And generally tell everyone all about this show till it's the only thing anyone ever listens to. And I can all control your brains with some liminal messages so I can make you bring me crisps. Yeah, to be fair, I probably should do something better with that kind of power. But, you know, great responsibility, etc. Damn, though, I love crisps. I mean, they're just so crispy. Big cheers to Acast for bolstering the show into its sound structures. Uh, to my brother, The Last Skeptic, for all of the musics. Uh, and you can find him on at The Last Skeptic or TheLastSkeptic.com. And to Cat Day for typing up the linear liner notes for the website every week. And she's on at Chronicle Flask on Twitter. And her website is ChronicleFlask.com. Uh, this will be back next week when Prime Minister Theresa May calls off the vote on her Plan B by announcing Plan C, which is pretty much the same as the last two, but she's used Comic Sans for the headings and a Windows 2008 clip art image of a frog for the cover. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by John Barron's Fix It All Solutions. Are you worried you've done a work presentation so badly you may get fired? Hire John Barron's Fix It All Solutions and he'll turn up to your work with a display involving such terrible offensive images and statistics that barely even look like numbers, so you'll look like a hero in comparison. Botched up a decorating job? Give John a call and he'll take a dump on the carpet before taking a blowtorch to all the skirting boards so your shoddy handiwork will look like Renaissance art. John Barron's Fix It All Solutions, when the only way to make you look good is for someone else to look much, much worse. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.